Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I don't know what you might be afraid of today, but I hope that you leave today without that fear. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. One of the ladies that stuck one of those post-it notes, I heard her say, I fear the judgment. You don't have to be afraid of the judgment. Verse 13, 1 John 4, chapter 4. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I recently heard about a young woman who was getting married, but she was somewhat insecure and fearful of making such a huge commitment. And on the day of her wedding, one of her friends in another state could not attend her wedding, but sent her a text message for the purpose of not only congratulating her, but encouraging her through her fear. Well, knowing that her friend was somewhat insecure and afraid, she texted what she intended to be the scripture reference of what I just read, 1 John 4, 18, that talks about perfect love drives out all fear. And she said, get your Bible and read the verse. Unfortunately, she typed the text. She left off the one in front of John. So she just sent John 418, the gospel. She opened the Bible. Here's what she read. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have (laughs) is not your husband. (laughs) It's pretty important you get that one on the front of John. A little girl came to her dad one day and said, daddy, what is God like? And dad thought, well, that's easy to answer until he tried to put it in words that a five-year-old girl could understand. 
And he did the classic dad, exam, dad answer, and he said, go ask your mother. <laughs> so she went to her mom, said, Mom, what is God like? Mom thought about it for a moment, couldn't answer it, said, honey, why don't you ask your Sunday school teacher this Sunday? So she went to Sunday school. She asked her teacher, what is God like? And the teacher simply said, well, that's, that's probably a question that your mom and dad need to answer. <laughs> well, the little girl thought to herself as she left, if I had lived with God as long as my father and mother and Sunday school teacher, I think I would be able to tell a little girl what he's like. <laughs> John's told us that God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth that he's light and in him is no darkness at all and that he is love. And in verse 13, it says, by this we know, we experientially know. It's a present tense verb that means it's continually happening. How do you know that you are God's child? How do you know that you've been saved? How do you know that you belong to Jesus? Well, John addresses this today, and I want you to understand that when you get a grasp on God's love and what he's done, it brings assurance in your heart. And so that's what we're going to look at for a moment. First of all, John speaks of the confirmation of God's love in verse 13. Now, our actions are often determined by our identity or who we are, or at least who we think we are. And John says, because you're a child of God, love is going to be continuously happening in your life. Love for other people. But have you stopped and taken the time to reflect on just who you are? You ever ask somebody, just who do you think you are? Well, let me tell you who you are in Jesus Christ. Through Christ, you're dead to sin, Romans 6, 11. We're free from the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5, 24. We are spiritually alive, Romans 6, 11, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. We're declared blameless and innocent, Philippians 2, 15. We are forgiven, Colossians 2, 13. We are a light in the world, in the world Matthew 5, 14. We are declared righteous, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. We're victorious over Satan, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. We are a child of God, Romans 8, 16. We are cleansed from sin. 1 John 1, 7, we're God's possession, Titus 2, 14. We are set free from the power of sin, Colossians 2, 11. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3. We're secure in him, 1 Peter 1, 3. We are a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3, 20. We are at peace with God, Romans 5, 1. We are free from the law, Romans 8, 2. We are loved by God, 1 John 4, 10. And we are an heir of God, Romans 8, 17. That's who you are. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. You are someone. And because of that, there are several truths that confirm this, that confirm our identity that we are in him. First of all, we possess the Holy Spirit. The possession of the Holy Spirit, verse 13, states, he has given us of his spirit. Romans 8, 14 says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit does not lead unsaved people. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about the unsaved person or the natural man. And, he's, and, and then he talks about the spiritual man, the man that's been saved. And he said, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. You have the Holy Spirit in you to help you. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't understand half of what I tell you. Now, the Holy Spirit will convince you that you need to be saved and convict you of your sin. But spiritual things are spiritually discerned and the Holy Spirit leads you. We have the Holy Spirit. He is God living in us. He is the resurrected Savior living in us. I got amused at an evangelist I heard who said, we're going to fill you so full of the Holy Spirit that if a mosquito bites you, you're going to fly. He's going to fly away singing there's power in the blood. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, 1 John 4, 4, same chapter, verse 4 says that you can face anything on the outside because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. <laughs> I heard a young lady one time say, well, and if those people in that group at our church are filled with the Holy Spirit and are still as unattractive as they are, I don't want to be one. And an older, wiser, wiser man smiled at her and said, but my dear, just think how repulsive they must have been without him. <laughs> you and I aren't perfect, but we have the spirit of God living in us. He's changing us. He's growing us. You, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't live in the building. He lives in you. And when we gather together, his spirit is present. John also mentions the second confirmation is the profession of Jesus Christ. Verses 14 and 15, I've already told you that these heretics were saying that Jesus was not human or that Jesus was not divine or any kind of combination of the two. And look what John says in verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Jesus refers to the flesh. Son of God refers to his mission, to the divine, the whole scope of Jesus' ministry. And John said, look, I might be an old apostle. I might be in my 90s, but I know what I saw. I saw Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I can testify that he was in the flesh and he is God. John said, I've seen him and testify. You know, when somebody testifies, it means to bear witness to the reality of what they saw. And for a witness to be accepted in a courtroom, they've got to be of sound mind and understand what they've experienced and know how to talk about it. They've got to be believable and acceptable, have firsthand experience. And that's what John is saying. I know what I'm talking about. I was there. I know I understand. Now, you might want to underline the phrase, Savior of the world the Savior, the Son as Savior of the world, because this is the only place except for the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 42, that that phrase is used just like that. And the other time it was used is when the woman at the well went back to town and told the people that she had met the Messiah, she'd met Jesus, and they came out and they said the very same words, you are the Son, the Savior of the world. It speaks of what Jesus, 
of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And in verse 15, God's grace is for anyone who will confess that. Now, it's not just saying it. A lot of people say, well, if I just confess, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. No, it's talking about a commitment. It's not just intellectual knowledge and intellectual assent. Whoever confesses and commits their life to Jesus Christ, they are the child of God. This is not just mere intellect. The demons believe and, and tremble that Jesus is real. And John is telling these folks, who these Gnostics, these heretics that said, if you just don't get to our level of knowledge, you're not going to make it. John says, you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The profession that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that you've turned from your sin, asked God to forgive you, trusted, committed your life to Christ. Here I am, Lord, take me. I believe you're the only way to be saved. You are the Savior of the world. And that's the truth, that he's the only Savior of the world. The only one. The third confirmation is the presence of God's love. Verse 16, and we have known. There was a beginning to your experience. This word known here means to know by experience. We have known, perfect tense, happened at a time in your life when you committed your life to Christ, and that's when you met and understood the love of God. It's not a temporary knowledge. It's a permanent one. You're continuing to grow to know the love of God. You remember when you first were saved? You just knew your sins were forgiven. You wanted to go to heaven and not hell, and you got saved. But now, has the love of God grown in your life over the years? His Spirit lives in us. Have you ever been just sitting around and all of a sudden you feel like doing something nice for someone you care for? Where do you think that came from? Holy Spirit. He talks to you through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been down and out. Nobody seems to be around you for a while. Well, God said, why don't you just talk to me? Or maybe you've been thinking about somebody you hadn't heard from in a long time and and sometime during that week they call you. You think that's a coincidence? There's no coincidence with God. Maybe you received something wonderful you didn't ask for. Maybe you found out a debt was paid. You have no idea how it was paid. Or or you got a coupon for something you needed desperately didn't have the money for. I don't know what it might be. Something simple. But God knows the desires of your heart. He lives in in us and we can testify we know what we're talking about don't we can I get a witness here is that what we say sometimes (laughs) that's what he's saying here we can testify of the love of God because we all have experienced it in different ways 
So the confirmation of God's love is, a, is proven by the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. We've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we have the presence of God's love in our life. But I also want you to see that the second truth John mentions is the confidence that comes from God's love. Verse 17 says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Perfected doesn't mean flawless. None of us are perfect. And your love's not perfect, and you're, you're maturing in the Lord. It means to mature. If over the years you haven't become more loving, there's something wrong with you. Let me just put it out there. You know, what happens a lot of times, we get so smart with all of our theology and all of our biblical knowledge, then we begin to separate ourselves from everybody. Now, I understand running around with people that are not headed down the same path as you. That's not what I'm talking. Well, I'm ta- that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how even in the church, we start dividing over, and I'm going to use this Greek word, stupid stuff. <laughs> Think about it. We won't divide in here over salvation. We won't divide over the fact that Jesus is the only way to be saved. We we would fight anybody that would disagree with that. But man, we divide over other stuff, don't we? I think it's absolutely tragic that churches where people are supposed to love one another have had fights over music. (laughs) You can shine your shoes after church. (laughs) Listen, we all have different styles of music. Can you tell me which one's right? You can't, can you? Because it's all a matter of opinion. Right? There are certain styles that are not my thing. There are certain styles of worship that I'm not as um, familiar with or comfortable with. But when I look around and I see young people worshiping, I'm thinking, God, I'm so glad that they're, they're loving you. They may not, I may not like the music, but they're loving you. Or I can just be belligerent and say, well, they're just going to hell. (laughs) Maybe not quite that extreme, but you've thought it. (laughs) I'm using that as an example because we're outnumbered in the world. And when I say we, I'm talking about Christians. And we need each other. And the fact is, if you become a person that stopped loving other people, you've stopped growing. 
Because that word perfected means you're maturing in the Lord. And you know what? There used to be a lot of things. I'll just give you an example for me. There used to be a lot of things that I really got irritated about, even in some of the state conventions. But I ain't got time to be tormented all the time anymore about that stuff. It's just not that important. Some of it is, some of it isn't. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But if you've stopped loving, if you've stopped being compassionate, if you've stopped being forgiving, you've stopped growing. Because if you stop growing in the Lord, you quit loving people. Because your love is being perfected. It's, being, it's maturing over the years. And John tells us that love grows as we walk with God. And as we grow in our relationship with him, our ability to love begins to grow. And so the hardening that often takes place among the mature or the veteran Christians must be an indication that they've stopped growing. You take an athlete, a superstar athlete, do they quit practicing? They've arrived. They've, they've reached the pinnacle, but they've got to keep practicing. If you've got a person that's made the, a musician that's made the symphony and, and they've arrived, do they quit practicing? No. It's the same way in our walk with Christ. As soon as we forget that our relationship is dependent on the Lord, as soon as we begin to drift from the fundamental elements of faith, and as soon as we stop working at our relationship with Christ, our Christian walk will begin to decay and we drift back into self-absorption, back into selfishness. Ouch. Verse 17 also mentions the day of judgment. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say today, and some of you quit listening a while ago when I said music, (laughs) I, I want you to get this. Verse 17 says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness, confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment but he who fears has not been made perfect or matured in love now let me ask you a question the day of judgment are you afraid You know, hell is mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. The word is Gehenna, the Greek word. 11 of those times, it comes out of the mouth of Jesus. So he talked about it. The only other time is in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 6. But Jesus came to warn us of the coming judgment of God. And John says that not only can we be ready, but we can be confident because on that day, as he is, so also we are in the world. Now, let me ask you this question. We talk about the rapture, the snatching away of Christians, the the coming of the Lord. I use that synonymously sometimes when I say the second coming. I'm thinking about the rapture. I know the actual second coming of the Lord on the earth is at the end of the tribulation, or at least that's how I interpret the scripture to, to mean but let me ask you this. Have you ever, you, you ever get nervous about the rapture because you hadn't had a perfect day? You think, oh, man, if the Lord comes today, this hadn't been my day. I'm going to have a lot to answer for. 
And so you sort of dread it. You sort of dread seeing Jesus come. Can I get a witness here? Yeah, I, I, I know you are. You might as well just be truthful about it. If Jesus were in, that, in the gym in there, and I said, he is in there right now by bodily form. I promise you he's in there. How many of you would run in there to see him? Well, you go first. <laughs> and the reason is, it's because you know you're still imperfect. You know that you're still sinful. You know you're not perfect. And, and you, you're all the time reminded of, I just can't, I, I'm just, I just still do things wrong. So we have fear. We have fear of his return. Now, I know the Holy Spirit convinces people that don't know him. He he convicts them of their sin. And when a lost person begins to understand what has happened in their life and how they've separated themselves from God and that they're going to hell one day, all of a sudden they realize their sin, they become afraid. And then the Holy Spirit reminds them of the love of God and how Jesus paid it all. And they ask God to forgive them and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And God immerses them in the righteousness of Jesus and cleanses them and covers their sin and forgives their sin. And then what happens? They're no longer afraid that they have peace. Amen? Now, now, stay with me. The same God who loves you through Jesus Christ and has forgiven you of your sin is the one who's coming back for us. And he still loves you. He's still forgiven you. And you don't have to be afraid. His perfect love casts out our fear. I'm never afraid to go in front of my mom and dad. There have been moments I have been. (laughs) But even at that moment, I knew they still loved me dearly. God's love is perfect. And our salvation never was dependent upon how perfect we acted or how our actions saved us. We are dependent upon God's love to save us. And that's what, and and is it any wonder that John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? Because he got it. I mean, he went from a son of thunder to the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it says that when he returns the day of judgment, that we, we, as he is, so are we in this world. Confidence. We have boldness. Not arrogance. Confidence. Romans 8, 1 says, there is 
no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Dr. Howard Thurman was a missionary in India for many years. And on one occasion when he was preaching, a poor Indian boy from one of the villages heard him preach. And after Dr. and Mrs. Thurman had checked into a hotel room, they heard a timid knock at the door. When they opened the door, there was a little boy who had the clothing or lack of that showed he was one of India's untouchables. And the little boy said, I, I listen to you today and I want to ask you, can you give hope to a nobody? I want to tell you something. That's all God's done is given hope to all of us nobodies. All of us untouchables. And verse 18 says, there's no fear in love. Now, those of you who lived back in the 80s, in 1989, there was a slogan that came out, no fear. And they, all the kids were wearing shirts, no fear, no fear. In 2003, they had their first, or excuse me, in 2000, they had their first retail store. And in 2003, they even had their first energy drink. And then in 2011, they went bankrupt. So that slogan didn't last very long, did it? But when God's love has reached its intended goal and accomplished its perfect work, fear is cast out and the dread of punishment is done away with. It's one of the joys and blessings of knowing God as our Father. Most unbelievers don't have a fear of God or a love of God. But when they come to understand what has happened to them, they have a fear until they find God's forgiveness. And just like John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace in the second verse, "'Twas grace that caused my heart to fear, and grace... My fears relieved. We can be confident in knowing when we die, we're going to stand before a God who loves us. Now, we fear the process. I don't know how I'm going to die. You don't know how you're going to die. I know how I'd like to die. We don't have to be afraid, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and how he's loved you and me. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have this confidence. But if you know Jesus and you committed your life to him, you don't have to be afraid. The confidence, the boldness. John also mentions the consequence of love in verse 19, one of the most simple, straightforward verses in the Bible. We love because he first loved us. That word him sometimes is not in the earlier manuscripts. It just says we love because he first loved us. When you meet Jesus and he comes into your life, he just leaks out on other people. He does. God took the initiative Our origin of love is from God. Why else would you not be selfish? Because by nature, we are selfish. We live in a selfish world. Everybody's about me and the entitlements that they have. And yet when you might meet God and you understand how you were separated and headed to judgment and he saved you and he put 
love in your heart. He put a love for people you never thought you'd ever care about. That's the consequence. When you meet God, you start loving other people. You love people who aren't even here yet. Now, I want to remind you, love is not an emotion. It's a choice. There are 12 different verbs describing love in the New Testament in the original language, but there's no adjective to describe love in the original language. It's all verbs. It's all action. So it's not this ooey-gooey emotional stuff that we use all the time. I love my football. I love football. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love God. We use all the same word. It's not the same. It's a choice. And God puts in you Because you've been saved, you want to see other people saved, which John then mentions the contradiction to love in verse 20. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Three different times, John calls people a liar in this book. In chapter 1, verse 6, he said, if a man lives in darkness, claims to have fellowship with God, he's a liar. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, if a man lives in disobedience but claims to know God, he's a liar. And here he said that if a man lives in disfellowship or can't get along with other people but claims to love God, he's a liar. What part of that do you not understand? His argument is very simple. He said, it is humanly impossible to love a God you have not seen if you cannot love a brother who is standing right in front of you. Visible love for visible brothers and sisters makes evident the invisible love that you have for the invisible God. That's why Jesus said, you'll know, people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. I'm not talking about little moments when we get mad at each other. You ever been mad at somebody? Some of y'all still mad. Some of you have been perpetually mad for years. You can't be that way. You can't. That's a double. You, because of the love of God in your heart, you must forgive people. Must forgive people. Little girl spent her whole day fighting with her little sister. They prepared for bed. They were still mad at each other. And as usual, they knelt beside their bed to say their prayers as led by mom. Eight-year-old went first. Dear God, bless daddy and mommy. Bless our cat and dog. Then she stopped. Her mother prodded her and said, did you forget somebody? Oh, yes, God, and bless my ex-sister. Now, you can relate to that. I know you can. 11-year-old girl and her 8-year-old brother always fought over the simplest things. And it was her brother's birthday. He's 8, she's 11. And she surprisingly made a beautiful card for him. And inside the card, she wrote, Happy birthday to my 9-year-old brother. I'm so glad to have a brother to love. So God gave me you. And then on the back page, it said, P.S., Don't read this out loud or I'll twist your head off. (laughs) 
Somebody's going to get on your nerve every now and then, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about just being, just being a person that's just not very loving. Listen, in a church this size, I want you to come in with your radar on. Maybe that's not the right way to say it. Did you know every Sunday people walk in here hurting? Not everybody. Fortunately, we're not all hurting on the same day. But there are days people come in and they wonder if anybody's going to even notice them. Met a lady at the end of the 8 o'clock service. She looked a little nervous. She said, I've been watching y'all on television. It's my first time here. I said, you've, made the, you've already done the hardest part. It's coming the first time. Because when people walk in this door, they, they don't know where to go. They don't know what room to use. They, they wonder if any, anybody going to care about me. Well, you know who's going to do that? You. I'm going to do my best, but I can't get to everybody. Somebody needs a touch from you. John Stott said, it's obviously easier to love and serve a visible man than an invisible God. And if we fail in the easier task, it's absurd to claim success in the harder task. Be a friend Notice people, you can't know everybody. We, we can't know everybody intimately. We, we can't know everybody's details. Some are just acquaintances, but there are some people. That's one of the reasons Sunday school classes are so important because they get to know you a little bit better. And if you're not in one, I'm, I'm so worried about you because I know you're not going to last too much longer. The Sunday school class is the one that will love you, stand by you. They know your name. We've got to be a friend. In fact, somebody put the best vitamin for developing friends. Be one. <laughs> a real friend is those, when you make a fool of yourself, they don't think you've done a permanent job. <laughs> and all of us are going to do that from time to time. The last thing John mentions is a commandment, the commandment to love Verse 21, this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. Love is vertical. It's horizontal. It's part of the same coin. You can't, you know, you got a coin. We call it heads or tails. You can't separate it. It's, I, I just want the head side of a coin. No, you can't separate it. And that's what John is saying. This commandment we have from him refers to that. You love God, you're going to love people. And you can't be hateful to people and say that you love God because God is the one that put the love in you to begin with. And so when you are loving people, 
It's an extension of God's love for you. And yeah, you can love people that are a little more difficult because God loved you when you didn't even love him. And that same love lives in you. And I want to tell you something. You cannot even begin to understand this love until you know Jesus. Being a church member will not give you this kind of love. I say it again. Some of the meanest people I've ever met were church members. I didn't say they were Christians. And you know they're mean. You just know they're mean because God's love doesn't fit in them. Either that or they're so full of bitterness and unforgiveness. And you're going you're gonna to have disagreements from time to time, but you don't stay that way. Listen, you better get over it because you're going to be spending eternity with other Christians. And God just may put you in the same room and say, when y'all get this worked out, I'll let you out. Next to my wife, closest friend I have is my brother. He's three years younger than me. I have a sister nine years younger than me, but, but I was out of the house before she could carry on a complete conversation. <laughs> my, my, my brother and I fought a lot. We, well, we called it social interaction now, but, but I remember my mother used to put us in a room. Say, you're going to kiss your brother. I spit for a week. <laughs> Some of y'all been there, I know, I can tell. <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? Now we look back and we laugh about that stuff now because it was it was so major to us at the time, but we don't even remember what we were fighting about. God's people we don't, we, don't have, we don't have enough time not to love each other. We're not going to be here much longer. And I want you to help me love people by being friendly and kind and, and invite them to sit with you or, or whatever. I, last, last week, I met a couple from out of town, they were here visiting someone, and they said, I want you to know that when we got in this building, we've been treated so warmly. It just thrills my heart because, and when people come in and say, you know, I just sense the presence of God here. When I walked in the building, I sensed the presence of God. Now, where do you think they got that? You don't see God walking around except through his people. You see the friendliness and the warmness and the welcome so when you walk down the hall, notice people. You're not in the mall. You're not in Target or Walmart. You're in a church. Notice people. Speak to people. Help me love people. But I also want you to remember how much God loves you. And when you see him, when we see him face to face, It's not going to be condemnation. Welcome home. Same God that loves us. If you don't know him, you can know him today. Would you pray with me?
Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And I pray for those within the sound of my voice that have never experienced your love firsthand. They've heard about it. They've read about it. But, Lord, they need to receive it. I pray you'll forgive them of their sin. I know you will. But I pray they'd see the love that you have. I, I know, God, that people are f- afraid of the day of judgment, but we don't have to be afraid because your perfect love has cast out that fear. So we can enjoy living the abundant life that you've given us and the, the life of peace and joy and assurance and freedom. I pray for those that need Jesus that they would come giving their life to Christ and experience the same kind of love and freedom. Thank you for such a sweet church. Help us to continue to love each other and to be kind and compassionate, patient, courteous. And Lord, if you want to send some more folks here, we'll, we'll take them. We'll try our best to love them like you love them. So Lord, whatever the decision is, your spirit, the spirit that you put in us, speaking to our hearts and the spirit that maybe somebody doesn't know you is not in their life is is right now lord i know you're convicting them of sin and convincing them they need to give their life to you i pray they would do it even now in jesus name